Hi and welcome to the We Are Zion Sermon Podcast. We are a local church based here in Chennai, India. We are so glad you are with us and hope that this will encourage, inspire and instill fresh faith in you. We continue our sermon series called Glimpses today where we find shadows of Jesus in the Old Testament. Our desire is that through this series you would find great joy and renewed reason to meditate on the Old Testament as well as the New. We have Christine Gershom share God's word with us from Isaiah chapter 8. As we meditate on this attribute of Jesus, our hope is that you would move closer to him and find solace in his magnificent presence. Hi church, it's such a joy to share God's word with you today. Uh, as we know, we have started the new series called Glimpses and I'm going to be doing part 2 of that. And what Glimpses is all about is really looking um, at texts from the Old Testament and finding the shadows of Jesus in it because there are shadows of Jesus throughout the old testament and so often we overlook the old testament thinking well it's you know done and dusted i don't need to look at it but today we're going to be looking at isaiah chapter 8 and we're going to be looking at a couple of verses there and identifying jesus in that and seeing what that has um, to do with us in the present day so before we start i just want to leave an image with you picture you're on a long road trip you're on a long highway um and it's a mountainous terrain and as you're going on this road it's a single road there's no other route to your destination and as you head on this long beautiful scenic route plonk in the center of the road right on your route is a huge boulder i mean you can't even you can measure this it's so big it's huge and it's right in the center of the road there is no way around it there is there's nothing else to do except to probably turn around and take a detour which will probably delay you by a couple of hours and so this boulder sits right in the middle of the road and as you see there's a small pathway that goes through it and people who are standing there are saying well you could try going through the boulder because you could make it to the other side but if you're as risk averse as me you're probably going to be like it looks dark in there it looks very narrow i don't know if i'll make it i probably might just turn around i might just wait here till someone moves the boulder but the boulder is not going anywhere it stays right there what would you do that's the image i want to leave with you as we begin today we're going to be looking at isaiah chapter 8 verses 13 to 15 and this is what it says but the lord of hosts him you shall honor as holy let him be your fear let him be your dread and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of israel a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of jerusalem and many shall stumble on it they shall fall and be broken they shall be snared and taken today's passage in the in the new living translation says it even better it says he will keep you safe but to israel and judah he will be a stone that makes people stumble a rock that makes them fall and for the people of jerusalem he will be a trap and snare so last week we saw how god is emmanuel Jesus is Emmanuel God with us and today we're going to be looking at how Jesus is the rock the one that keeps us safe Jesus is a safe hiding place we've heard it in songs we've sung it we've read about it with the psalmist talks about how he will run to him and hide himself in him and the imagery here is of Jesus as a gigantic rock one that i can run to and be safe from every calamity but the the flip side to that is that jesus the rock that he is if you look at it from another perspective from the perspective of someone who doesn't believe in him someone who looks at him and thinks well i don't want that he's a stumbling rock he's a stone of offense meaning 
so many in the Jewish faith have stumbled over this one idea. And so many even today are stumbling over the idea of Jesus as God. They are able to accept God as a father. They're able to accept God as a spirit. But oh, the son of God coming to earth, dying for us, and that he is the one true way to salvation. I don't think so. So Jesus is still a rock of offense. He is still someone that people trip up on and say, I don't want him. And so it depends on the perspective that we're looking at him with. If I'm looking at him as the way, the truth and the life, he becomes my rock of refuge. I can run to him and hide in him and he will keep me safe, he says. But there's the other side that if I look at him as a stumbling block and say, you know what, I don't want you and turn away from him, he becomes a rock of offense. And there are many scriptures and you might ask me, how do I know this passage is talking about Jesus? Let's look at Romans chapter 9. This is what it says from verses 30 to 33. What does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scripture when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Can you see the resonance of this verse in the New Testament? So what it's saying here is that the Jews chose not to believe in him because it didn't fit their expectation. They would rather keep the law and fulfill it by their you know, efforts rather than just say, Lord, I need you. I'm a sinner. Come into my life. That that exchange they were not willing to make and because of which Jesus became a rock of stumbling to them. But to every one of us Gentiles who chose to believe in him, who said, I'm okay with just, you know, accepting the grace given to me and just, you know, in faith stepping out, God became a rock to us. And so today, I if you if you really want to read up on this more, if you want more proof that the rock is Jesus, there are a couple more um, you know verses that you could read. One is one Corinthians chapter ten verses one to four, and there's one Peter chapter two verses four to six. You could read it more um, to really understand what this this means for us today and why Jesus is compared to a rock. Okay, but before we um, get into what we're going to be looking at today, I want to ask you. It's a very personal question. Do you look at Jesus as your rock? Is he your sole refuge in times of trouble? Is he your sole refuge in the good times? Or has Jesus become a rock of offense to you? Have you suddenly begun wondering why you're giving up everything for him? Have you suddenly felt the cross you've been called to carry is too heavy and maybe it's not worth it? Maybe you look at Jesus and say, well, I, I like him, but he's not everything to me. I can't make him the Lord and master of my life. I want you to rethink how you view this Jesus because there's only two options. You either choose him, you choose to trust in him or you reject him. There are really only two ways. And in 1 Corinthians, it talks about how this rock crushes those he fall, it falls on. So I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of that. But all I want to leave with you is this. How do you view Jesus? Is he a rock of refuge? Is he a stone of offense to you? Now, there are many reasons why even today, a lot of Christians look at Jesus as a stumbling block. And I would say Christians in quotes because truly um, our relationship with God is so deep. 
And there will come times when you wonder if you're on the right track, whether you heard God right. Lord, is this what I'm meant to be walking on? But it is the believer who truly trusts in Jesus, who will still keep their eyes focused on him as the rock and keep running to hide in him. But many times we get offended as Christians. Many times we, we have doubts and questions, legit though they may be. What are some of the things that people are doubting about? Well, one, some may ask, why would this God allow himself to be diminished and disgraced on earth like this? By coming, living in the mark, dying, why, why would a God do this to himself, right? Many would ask, why is it so effortless to enter a relationship with him? There should be some element of ritual. There should be some ele element of tradition. Why is it so easy? Shouldn't there be, uh, you know, greater pomp and, and you know, a procedure? Maybe you're asking yourself, is it worth giving up everything to live a life in relationship with Jesus? I don't know if it's worth it because I'm losing friends. I'm losing opportunities that I could otherwise have taken. I could, I'm losing a relationship with some of my family members. Is it all worth it? I wonder. Maybe you're asking, why should I walk in hardship after I choose Jesus when I could have just pretended I didn't know Jesus and had an easier life? Why this hardship? And so if you're one of those people, I want you to today come to a place of maybe again considering Jesus to be your rock. Because I don't have all the answers for you, but I know that Jesus does. And it sometimes requires us to pivot and come back to this place of saying, Lord, I've been looking everywhere else for refuge and sanctuary. Maybe it's time I come back to you. And so today we're going to be looking at how we can make a choice. It really comes down to a choice, right? Everything in our lives is about a choice. So I'm going to leave this choice with you. How can you make the choice to choose Jesus as your rock over leaving Jesus to be just a stone of offense? How will you be able to wisely make that choice? Okay, I'm going to just leave three points with you. Because ultimately, this comes down to a personal choice that you make in faith. And the, we're going to look at the rest of Romans 8. We're going to, you know, take it out of that chapter. We're going to understand how we can choose to make Jesus the one we run to, our sanctuary, our rock. The first thing is that you will choose who you will fear. Isaiah chapter 8 verses 11 to 13 says this, The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. He said, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do and don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one you should make who should make you tremble. If anything, in the last two years, COVID made all of us paranoid. COVID made everyone scared. After a point, of course, a bunch of us moved back into, you know, being in social relationship with people, inviting people over, going out as usual. And I was at the mall this week and Everything's back to normal. People stuffed in lifts, no masks, and life is life has moved on. We have all, some of us have got a, a, a new faith, knowing that it was God who preserved us thus far. But then there are some who are still afraid. But one thing was common to us. The things that we received on WhatsApp, the things that we saw on the news made us afraid. We got these WhatsApp texts of conspiracy theories. Oh, you know, this is what is being hatched. It's a plan. It's a ploy. And then we saw the news and it spoke directly opposite of what we were reading. And then it made us more fearful. We saw the number of deaths. We saw the number of hospitalizations. We saw the beds that were empty. We were scared. As, as, as nations, we were afraid. 
And the sad thing is that we started believing what the nation told us to believe. We started believing what leaders told us to believe. We started believing what theorists said was the truth. When instead we should have turned around and looked at God and said, Lord, I fear you alone. It's coming to a place where each of us as followers of Jesus need to live in a holy fear of God alone. What do you fear? Today, if I, was to, if, if I were to ask you that, what do you fear the most? Do you fear the loss of your reputation? Do you fear your boss's reprimand? Do you fear losing the favor of your spouse or children? Do you fear being screamed at or humiliated publicly? Do you fear losing everything you have? Do you fear looking like a failure? The interesting thing is that the things that we fear or what we fear will drastically affect the quality of our life. Why do I say that? When we live in a place of fearing only God and what he thinks of me, whether I'm hurting his heart, whether this particular thing is God honoring or not, I develop a holy confidence. I know that, Lord, I'm walking in the right standing with you. I will do this thing you're saying. I will trust you to look after me. We can confidently say that we're making Jesus the rock of our life when we choose to fear him alone. Luke chapter 12, verses 4 to 5, Jesus himself addresses this. He says, dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. Very clear. Jesus is saying, don't fear anyone else. Fear God alone. We live in times where we're afraid to share our faith because maybe of political systems around us. We're living in times when we're afraid to be a shining light because we're afraid the light will be extinguished. But God is coming and saying to us right now, who do you fear? Do you fear the public or do you fear me? What is it that drives your fear? Loss of face, what society says. What is God saying to you? What is God saying to me? There are many people around the world. I won't say many. There are a couple of people around the world who live um, literally in the dark ages. They take up little huts in the center of dense forests. They don't have any cell phone connectivity, no Wi-Fi, nothing. They live um, like, you know, in, in the prehistoric times, they live in little, um, you know, very rough areas with no connection because they believe and it looks like a bunker almost because they believe that, you know, the, the governments of the world are conspiring to track them, to find out about them, to to hassle them. And so they live in these little cocoons in different parts of the world. Every nation has them. And I wonder sometimes, do we Christians become like that? We have a God whom we can rely and trust in and walk in confidence and boldness. And yet we have come, become cloistered in our homes. We don't communicate with anyone. We are afraid to let ourselves out there. We are afraid to go above and beyond because of all the fears that surround us. But what if we were to come back to a place and say, Lord, I'm not going to think like how the nations around me think. I'm not going to think the way culture dictates me to think. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to believe that fearing you is enough. Fearing God has got such a bad rap sometimes because they say he's such a loving God. Well, he's a loving God. He's a gentle and gracious God, but he is holy and righteous. And so it is imperative that we as believers, that we as followers of Jesus, fear this fearsome God. Fear him not in a way where we go run and hide, 
but we come before him in awe and reverence and say, Lord, you alone will I honor. You alone will I fear. I will trust that you have what is best for me. So I will come to you. I will pivot from the fears that have driven my life. And I will look to you in a way that pleases you, in a holy, awe-struck reverence of you. That's the first important thing. How do I choose to actually make Jesus the rock? I choose who I will fear. Don't fear what people will say. Don't fear what people can do because ultimately you're in God's hands. Once you choose Jesus, he's your rock of refuge. Choose who you will fear. The second thing is choose what will guide you. Isaiah chapter 8 verses 19 to 22 says this. Someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. With their whisperings and mutterings, they will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. Very interesting line. Look to God's instructions and teachings. What is the compass for your life today? Who, what do you allow to guide your lives? Is it your Google search engine? It's so predictable now. You start typing in something, it finishes your sentence for you because it knows what we, what we, you know, invariably looking for. Maybe it's a family doctor that who's just on speed dial. Oh, doctor, my do my son has this problem. Oh, we're having this. What do we do? Is it your wealth manager who drives your life? Hey, you know, put this, invest this, grow this. Is it your insurance agent who says, "Don't worry, even in the event of something happening to you." Your family sorted. Is that what drives you? Is that what guides you? Is it a wise friend? Someone who gives you timely advice? Good advice. Is it your popularity on social media? The confidence that you're an influencer? Is that what guides you? Is it praise from those you work for? The problem with all of these things that we usually go, go to for guidance is that they're so finite and so limited. Even Google is very finite. It's curated by man. It has limitations on it. The people that you look to for validation will let you down. The very people that you say you influence, the ones who put you on that pedestal will pull you off the pedestal. The money that you're investing through your wealth manager, it could have wings and sprout anytime. The thing about God's word is that it's permanent. It's eternal. And the words that God speaks to us through his word, through his voice, will never fall to the ground uselessly but they will go forward to achieve the plans and purposes they have and the written word of God is our compass many times many times in my life I have seen that when I'm going through a hard situation the last place I look at is this in fact I'll be fretting so much that I'll do everything else before I come and sit down to actually hear what God has to say to me and that has been the biggest mistake I have made and so today when I was as I was rereading this passage I realized that God is calling me to a renewed commitment to his word. So not even, sometimes it may not even be love, but it's just saying, Lord, I'm desperate. It may not be a love for the word initially, but it'll just be a dependence where I cannot get through a day without hearing what God has to say to me. 
It'll be very interesting. Sometimes God will answer directly. You know, he'll give you a phrase from the scripture you're reading, which will answer your predicament. Sometimes it'll just be a demand to obey. It can be just a demand to have faith and walk out. So each of us need to move back to a place where the word of God is our compass, where the word of God is what guides us. The people of Israel, when you look at this chapter, King Ahaz was the king of Judah and, and he was being besieged by Syria and Israel on one side. And Isaiah goes to him and says, don't worry. God is with you. He is going to save you. You have to relax. Ahaz didn't think that was enough. He didn't consult the scripture because, you know, the chronicles of the kings would note down everything every king went through. And of course, there was the Torah and there was so much of content which he could have looked at and seen. This God I, that Isaiah is talking about is mighty. He saved our people from slavery. He brought them through the, the wilderness. He did mighty things for them. Why am I afraid? He didn't go back to the scripture. He didn't go back to the testimonies of God. Instead, he looked at these two mighty kings and their armies opposite him and thought, I need more help. This living God is okay, but I need more reinforcement. And Isaiah was speaking from a place of hearing God. So he was actually transmitting the voice of God to King Ahaz, but King Ahaz wasn't paying attention. And you know what he did? He went to the Assyrian king, he paid him tribute and became a vassal king to him, which is tragic because that was not what God had intended for his people. But because he did that, within a couple of years, the Assyrian army came and lay siege to the entire nation. So I want to ask you this, what has been guiding your life thus far? In this case, the people were actually going and talking to spiritists, to mediums, to necromancers. And these are things that God told through Moses to his people, I hate, don't consult them. Consult me directly. Why would you go and consult the dead on behalf of the living when you can talk to a living God? Today I ask you, why do you consult social media for that one verse which will lift you up when instead you could open the word of God? Why would you go running to that one friend for advice when you can just open your mouth and speak up to your heavenly father? Why are we looking at every other method and route for guidance when God's word, his instructions are so clear. He instructs you on everything. And this is not some sort of static book. It is living, it is powerful. As you read it, the Holy Spirit will bring you revelation. It's important that you come back to the word of God. Let that be your guide. And it's very interesting. It's very interesting that those who find Jesus to be a stumbling rock, a rock of offense, will actually first find fault to the word of God. They are dysfunctional hearers and doers of the word. Maybe you're someone who says, I don't believe it. This is completely flawed. Something is wrong with the way you're reading it. Something is wrong with the way you're listening to it. You're a dysfunctional hearer or doer because a person who looks to Jesus as his rock or her rock will believe that Jesus is the personification of the written word. He's the word who became flesh. And so you believe this automatically. A person who finds Jesus to be a rock of stumbling will refuse to go deeper in the word. They will probably just read one verse and move away from it and say, that's it. Or they will look at one verse that is contradic contradicting what they believe and say, I don't believe all of it. They will find some so-called contradiction in the word without deeper revelation and say, this is completely disjoint. The important thing is that as people 
who know and love Jesus. We need to be able to read the word and let the word read us rather than reading our ideas into the word, rather than reading our notions into the word. That is the wrong way to read the word of God. I need to read the word of God and allow it to read me, which means I allow the word of God to convict me, to train me, to admonish me, to exhort me. That is what I need to do when I read the word of God. So I would ask that you will be one of those people who chooses to let the word of God guide you. This is not a compulsion. This is a choice we make. If you want Jesus to be the rock of refuge, you need to begin to consult his word and allow his word to guide you. So that's the second thing. Choosing what will guide you. And the third point is choosing how you will wait. Isaiah chapter 8 verses 16 to 17. Preserve the teaching of God and trust his instructions to those who follow me. I will wait for the Lord who has turned away from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my hope in him. I and the children the Lord has given me serve as signs and warnings to Israel from the Lord of heaven's armies who dwells in his temple on Mount Zion. Very interesting. He says, preserve the teaching of God because we have talked right now about the training and instructions of God from his word. He's saying, preserve it and entrust it. Right. And then he says, I will wait for the Lord who has turned away from the descendants of Jacob. And it felt like that because there were these two armies which were facing Judah. And then to top it all, Judah was turning away from God and going behind the Assyrians. And so God had turned away, he says. But yet Isaiah says, I will wait for God. I will wait with hope. I will put my hope in him, he says. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you can resonate with that. Maybe you can say, well, I have done some things. I feel like God is not with me. But here's the thing. When you once again choose to make Jesus the rock, the refuge for your soul, when you run to him alone, when you look to him as the one that you will solely fear, when you choose to trust his word and live by it, you will realize that you need to wait with hope. Every Christian is in a season of wait. There's no exceptions. Every one of us are in a different season of wait. You may be waiting for a child. You may be waiting to get married. You may be waiting for that job. You may be waiting for that opportunity. You may be waiting for that land. You may be waiting for something that you can't even speak. You may be waiting for healing. All of us are waiting. But the difference will be if we have made God our rock, we will wait with hope. We won't wait listlessly. We won't wait without expectation, but we will have so much of godly expectation saying, I know something good is happening. I know that even when I cannot see it, God is doing something. That is what hope looks like. So waiting with hope knows that no matter how bad my current situation is, however the long, however long the wait is looking like, God is faithful. He is not going to let me down. He gave me a word. He's faithful to his word. He will not let me down. And I want to leave this with you that hope cherishes the promise given. Hope cherishes the promise given. Hope nourishes the relationship with the promise giver. Let me repeat that. Hope cherishes the promise given. God's given you a promise that that child is coming, that that spouse is coming, the land is coming, that Financial breakthrough is coming. He's given you a promise. Hold on to it. Cherish it. He says, preserve the teaching of God and trust it. 
to those who believe in me. He says, put it in, hide it in your word. I will hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It is so vital that we hide the promises of God in our heart so that we don't sin by blaming God. We don't sin by being, you know, all grumbling and complaining. But we hide it, we cherish it. We also nourish the relationship with the giver of the promise. In the wait, like I said, it's not a listless waiting. It is a waiting of anticipation. Because I'm saying every morning I will wake up, Lord, today you could do something amazing and I will wait for you. And even if it's not today, I'll wake up the next day with hope that you're going to do something. It is building my relationship with him. Hope looks like that. It is not just, it's not a blind expectation. It's not just saying, ah, you know what? I'm just going to be fake and be excited about this. Woohoo. It's not like that. It is an avid expectation of the King of Kings. It's saying, God, I cannot see anything happening, but I know you're working. I know that you are doing something. And so in the wait, this wait that I'm in, I'll get to know you more. I lean on you more. I will find out new things about you from your word. I will cherish those things you're dropping into my spirit. I'll hold on to it because I will see its fulfillment. That's the beauty of hope. And if you look at the next verse, it says over here, I and the children the Lord has given me serve as signs and warnings to Israel from the Lord of heaven's armies who dwells in his temple on Mount Zion. And I didn't understand why Isaiah would randomly say that line. And then I realized that Isaiah had two sons who were born to him during this season. And the first son was Shear Jashub. That was his name. God gave the names for these boys. And it says, Shear Jashub means a remnant shall return. Now, this is even before Israel went into exile. God is speaking to Isaiah, told him, name this child this. The second child was named Mahar Shalal Hazbaz, which means swift to the booty, speedy to the prey. Basically, God was saying, before this boy can say mama or dada, Damascus and Syria are going to be wiped out. There's going to be a real, you know, attack on them. Basically, God was talking about impending doom. He was saying these things are going to happen. But the beautiful thing is the first child is named with the name of hope. A remnant shall return. And so what carried Isaiah, if you look at Isaiah, 66 chapters intertwined by the impending, the fury of God, his holy wrath on his people because they were disobedient. And there's constantly an underlying foundation of hope. Hope is the theme of the book of Isaiah. And today, you might feel like this. You might feel like you're in the midst of a terrible disaster. You might feel like you're in a whirlwind. You just don't know what's happening. Things are out of control. You don't know how to process what you're walking through. But I want to leave this with you. He is the God who promises a remnant will return. And didn't they return? 70 years later, a remnant returned. In the same way for you, God presents hope. We have hope. We find hope in his word. He has hope for you. Hope is like that light at the end of the tunnel. It's what keeps you going. When you wait, you don't wait without hope. You wait with expectation. You wait with anticipation. And it's your choice how you choose to wait. You can choose to wait completely um, destroyed with no kind of, you know, um, hope of what's going to come. You could live impatiently. You could wake up every morning and be like, why God, why me? Or you could turn that around and say, Lord, you're my refuge. I run to you this morning. Hold me. Give me grit. Steady my faith. Deepen my roots. Because ultimately, remember this, hope cherishes the promise given. 
it nourishes the relationship with the giver of the promise. This is not a wasted wait. You can wait with hope. The posture of our waiting will prepare us for the blessing that is to come. If I'm going to wait with hope and anticipation, oh boy, the blessing is going to be amazing. But if I choose to grumble and, 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 you know, just, you know, keep having these, you know, outbursts with God and blaming him and, and refusing to live in the moment, I feel like the blessing would get delayed. I feel like we will not enjoy the depth of that blessing. So our posture, the posture of our weight really matters. It really matters. As I conclude, I want to read a few verses from the beginning of Isaiah chapter 8. And this is not a warning. While it was a warning to the people of Israel, I want you to look at it as a comfort. Okay, I want you to look at it from an idea of how God cares for us. When he says, I will keep you safe, how does he do that? That's what we're going to read. Isaiah chapter 8 verses 5 to 10. Then the Lord spoke to me again and said, My care for the people of Judah is like the gently flowing waters of Shiloh. But they have rejected it. They are rejoicing over what will happen to King Rezin and King Pekah. Therefore, the Lord will overwhelm them with a mighty flood from the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria and all his glory. This flood will overflow all its channels and sweep into Judah until it is chin deep. It will spread its wings, submerging your land from one end to the other, O Emmanuel. I'm just going to stop there for a bit. So I was reading up a bit on the geography of Jerusalem and where this pool of Shiloh is located. It's very interesting. It's very interesting because it's in keeping with the analogy I gave you at the beginning. Shiloh is found at one corner of Jerusalem. Okay, and it's a small pool and the water trickles out of it like a stream. And interestingly enough, there's a, there's a big wall. The Kidron Valley has, you know, a, a wall over there. And this pool actually ha- trickles through a wall in the rock. It's called a rock aqueduct. So it's actually kind of found an opening and it trickles through the wall, through the wall of this rock and comes out of the other side where it is used by people at this corner of the city. So it's amazing that this gentle stream, it is not a rushing, you know, river. It's a stream and it's gentle and it flows through the rock and provides water to people on this side. It was later on King Hezekiah and others who actually diverted it and got, you know, a good flow from it. But when he talks here, he says the gently flowing waters of Shiloh. If you're someone who at the beginning of this message, when I shared about that rock sitting right in the middle of the road, if you chose to walk through the rock, you are assured of a gentle care by a mighty God. I love that our God, God our Father, he's such an unobtrusive yet present God. You know, Emmanuel, even that Warning ends with O Emmanuel. He's a God who is with us. And if you choose for Jesus to be your rock of refuge, you're not alone in that rock. His presence, his spirit nourishes us. And his care is so gentle. It's not like a, you know, backhand slap. It's not like a shake up. It's a gentle care. He cares for you and me like we need caring. Each of us require caring in different ways. And his care for us is so tailor-made in a way we can accept it, in a way we can receive it. So why would we look to any other source for refuge when I can run to the rock and he will provide all that I need? This whole passage is imagery. He's trying to explain how the, the living God's care for his people is gentle. 
but how the Assyrians who will come in will be like a flood. They will overtake the land. They will wipe out everything. What will look like help to begin with will result in complete annihilation and destruction. And that's what happens when we look to any other source for our refuge. That's what happens when we run to the world to determine the direction of our lives. That's what happens when we fear everything else that people are saying and don't look to God and Him and His Word to fear and obey. I continue reading Isaiah chapter 8 verses 9 to 10. Huddle together, you nations, and be terrified. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle, but you will be crushed. Yes, prepare for battle, but you will be crushed. Call your councils of war, but they will be worthless. Develop your strategies, but they will not succeed. For God is with us. That is the closing, uh, the thing that I want to leave with you as I close. Okay, No matter what your enemy looks like today. No matter what the enemy has planned for you, maybe you did something wrong and the enemy is up against you. There's an assault on you. Can I urge you to run back to Jesus, to the rock of your refuge, to choose him again. And this time to say, I will fear only you. This time to look at the word of God and say, I will let you guide me. And this time that you will choose to wait with hope, that you won't push against the God saying, I need to get there. I need to get there. Stop making me wait. But you will rest knowing that the wait is worth it. Because ultimately, this is the promise for us, that we have a God who is Emmanuel. He is with us. And he says every enemy can plan whatever they want. Their plans will not come to fruition because I am with you. So maybe you feel it's been a long wait. I don't know how much longer I can wait. You can with hiding in the, in the presence of Jesus, hiding in the rock of refuge, you can do it. You can wait with hope. You will be able to get through it. I want to leave this with you. That if you have not experienced Jesus as the rock of refuge, you can choose him today. Get in touch with us. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to introduce you to him. Because he's a place of safety. When I say this, I don't want you to imagine that your life will be without any trouble. As I was preparing this, God kept dropping instances in my life, in my family's life. When God had come through for us, when he had been our refuge. I want to leave one story with you as I close. This happened when I was um, in college. And um, I was in India with my mom and my brother. And my father had gone abroad to travel. He had work. He would travel from city to city in the US. And um, one night he hadn't called my mother. He always calls us. Wherever he was, he would call us. And he didn't call us. And um, we were a little worried. You know, like why has dad not called us? And um, what we did was we just, three of us just knelt down. We prayed and said, Lord, look after him, wherever, whatever, look after him. We only knew that he had gone to visit a friend. And um, so we assumed he would call, but he didn't. The next morning, um, I was getting ready to leave for college when my mom got a call. And it was my dad's friend. And he, he goes on to relate to my mom how that very night, the night that we had been wondering why he hadn't called when we prayed and went to bed. My father had had a huge um, allergic attack. He had eaten something with sesame, um, which he's very allergic to. And my father almost died. Um, he had had an anaphylactic shock and um, he was literally passing out in the car as they raced him to the hospital. And all I can say is this, that, and all I can say is this, 
that three people who had no clue about what was happening had just called out to Jesus and said, look after him. And simultaneously around the world, this man was almost losing his life, was being rushed to the hospital, was pushed into the ER. They had to pump him full of drugs. They had to revive him, literally brought him back. Today, my father is alive and well. But this is what I want to leave with you, that you will go through hardship. You will go through struggle. There will be those near-death experiences, but he will keep you so safely that you will come out of it not even smelling like the flame that you walked through. You will come out of it not even dripping with the waters that you walked through because that is the power of walking with Jesus as the rock. There's so many other instances in our life. When I was sitting and writing it down, it blew my mind. Scary experiences, hard experiences, but in everything, he kept us safe. So I want to ask you today, is Jesus worth giving up everything for he is? Is Jesus worth the hardship he is? But it's a choice we make. It's a choice we make. Will you choose that you won't be offended by him? That you will choose not to live offended by him, but that you will go to him and say, I hide in you. Because I have nothing else. I have no one else. I will fear only you. I will read your word. I will stay hopeful. I will wait with hope. Make Jesus the rock of your refuge. Can we pray today? Can we pray together? Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you for doing in our lives what no man could have done. We thank you for doing for us what no gadget could have done, no app could have done. You have gone above and beyond, Lord. You have done so much for each one of us. You have protected us when we didn't know we were in danger. You have cared for us when no one else did, Lord. You have been so kind. You have been so faithful. And we're sorry when we have consciously or unconsciously looked away from you. We're sorry for the times we've rejected your advice, your counsel, and done the exact opposite. We're sorry when we have waited impatiently. We're sorry, Lord, when we have not feared you, but have feared everything else on the earth. And today we come back to you. Emmanuel, God with us, we praise you. Jesus, the rock of refuge, we come to you. We hide in you. We hide in you knowing that in you we are safe. In you we have fulfillment. In you we find compassion. And we pray that the gentle waters of the Holy Spirit, living waters, would touch our souls. That it would cure us of our thirst. It would wet our parched throats that it will heal us in the deepest parts of us. We come back to you. We come back to you. We keep our eyes focused on you. Thank you for what you have been doing. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you are going to do. We thank you that even now for those of us in the wait, we thank you for the words that you've promised over our lives. We thank you for the words that you have given to us and we cherish it. We entrust it to our soul, Father. We ask that we would live with hope. We pray that your love will be poured out over each one of us. That the hope that we have in you will be like an anchor for our soul. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Even as you get into this week, remember this. Jesus is the rock. He's a sanctuary. He's a refuge. You can run to him. You can stay with him. He will keep you safe. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. To hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe 
and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you like what you are hearing, consider rating us, subscribing and even sharing it with friends. That would really help us. For more content from We Are Zion and to connect with us, go to weazion.in. Remember, whoever finds Jesus finds life.